1: We're getting you ready for the game on The Buildup with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey.
2: Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, we lose our captain and, uh, you know, we lose a player who's, who's been a good depth piece for us playing up the middle. So, um, unfortunate, but, um, you know, obviously gives opportunities to guys and, you know, we're going to have some guys who haven't played many NHL games and it, gives opportunities to guys who have been here who are going to elevate their roles.
3: All right, that is Matt Nieto bringing us in with his reaction to the breaking news. That is Logan Couture and Lane Peterson joining Mario Ferraro on the COVID protocol list. Aiden Hill and Scott Reedy have been recalled and Alexei Melnichuk has been reassigned to the Barracuda which means the Sharks will have another impact player out for today's game. The Sharks have been through this before this year, and I am sure it will continue to be a factor moving forward. But before we go any further, let us look big picture at where the San Jose Sharks sit right now. Sixth in the Pacific Division, 17 wins, 15 losses, one overtime loss, 35 points on the year. They are five points back of third place Calgary, six points back of second place Anaheim, and 10 points back of first place Las Vegas. If we look in the wild card standings, we will see that in the Western Conference, we do look at Colorado at the top with 38 points, Edmonton and second with 38 points as well. The Sharks currently sit in fifth with 35 points, so not too far out overall in the slightest. If we talk about Detroit, they are currently third in the Eastern Conference wildcard, 15 15 and 3 on the year, which puts them at fifth place in the Atlantic Division, one point back at Boston. 11 points back of Toronto, 13 points back of Florida, and 14 points back of first place Tampa Bay. Right now, the Eastern Conference most definitely has some juggernauts. Of course, the San Jose Sharks still reeling after what happened in their game on Sunday where they fell behind 6-1 in the first period came back to make it a one-goal game, down 6-5, relatively late in the third, only to give up a power play goal and an empty netter to lose by a final of 8-5. And two of the last three games for the Sharks, they have not looked sharp in the slightest. They have been not playing to their details, which is something that Bob Bugner consistently harps upon. And right now, everybody's trying to figure out what exactly they are going to do to have a better response. And yesterday at practice, Bob Bugner offered this in response to that game on Sunday. I
1: think a different feel because it got so ugly. And we did say after that Arizona game, you might be able to get by against, you know, some teams that are uh, um, in no disrespect to anybody. But, you know, we all know the league. You can't you can't play that way against Pittsburgh Penguins. It doesn't matter how long they're off. Um, the guys have won Stanley Cups in there. They know how to play. They have leaders in that room. Um, their coaches have been through it. Um and I just think, you know, it just snowballed and and we had no answer for it and we didn't, uh, you know, at 3-1 or, you know, 4-1 even getting out of the first period, we still allowed two in the last three, four minutes of play, which is you got to stop the bleeding and uh, um, we couldn't seem to stop that last night. So um, it's a combination of a lot of things. I appreciated the, the, you know, the effort and the battle back. I don't think this team uh, um, is a team that... You know, very often I could say that, well, we just didn't show up or we didn't play hard. I think this team plays hard. I thought we got away from details last night. It wasn't more, it wasn't lack of effort. Um, it was lack of details. And then once things go bad on you, you start, you know, you start losing the 50-50s and, you know, your urgency sort of gets soaked, gets sucked out of you.
3: And I think that that does show that Bob Bugner understands what's going on with his team. They're obviously shorthanded. They're obviously playing in a you know strange time in the history of hockey, and they are a team that needs to be at full strength to play their best game. Well, they are not at full strength right now, and they are dealing with it. So while he does appreciate the fact that they were able to fight their way back into that game, it's also relatively unacceptable because you just can't come out that flat. You can't play like that against Pittsburgh and expect to walk away with a win. And I thought that... You know, a very important question was then asked to Bob after that of whether or not, you know, this is a pivotal moment for the Sharks' season where they are, you know, able to maybe get some wins and have momentum out of a road trip coming back home, but obviously dealing with these shortages, dealing with the COVID absences, and if it has a chance to knock them down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, um, you know, this road trip is is a hard road trip. There's no easy games. It doesn't matter who you're playing, and I think that – you know, it's going to force us into uh, to play in the right way, we hope. And I think that, uh, um, you know, it is important. I think we want to have success on this road trip. I think that we, you know, we had our long home stand. We talked about that forever, and that's over with. Um, and we got to, you know, we, we need points. But every point's valuable at this point stage of the game. So, um, yeah, that's a focus about just doing the right things. If we follow the process, more times than not, it'll end up being uh, uh, solid and it'll end up being positive on our side. And, and it's just consistency in our game, really. That's... That's the number one thing. It doesn't matter if we got new faces coming in, young guys coming in. Um, everybody's got to play consistent hockey and give ourselves a chance to win. And, and last night we didn't give ourselves a chance.
3: No, they most definitely did not give themselves a chance in the sense that they fell behind 6-1 at the end of the first period. You could have stopped the bleeding at 3. You could have stopped the bleeding at 4. You could have, you know, done a little bit more earlier in the game, but it obviously snowballed on them, and they were not able to find that response. Now, I do give the Sharks a lot of credit that they were able to fight their way back into it, but that just leads to the overall sense of frustration where you look at that game and you think, if you did not collapse like that in the first period, you would have given yourself a chance you know that's really all you want you would have given yourself a chance and I think that that's that's the most frustrating thing about that game is that if you had not been that slow out of the gate you would have had a winnable game in front of you and the Sharks are not good enough to give up those winnable games if you have a game that you can win you have to go out there and win it and I think that's probably part of the message that Bob Bugner is telling his team today this is a game that we can win the Red Wings are not a juggernaut they're good at home We can go out there and beat them, even if they are good at home. And I would hope that the response out of the gate is going to be just that. Obviously, the team misses Mario Ferraro in the sense that they have, you know, just so much of response to him and his overall nature. That was something that Bob Bugner also talked about yesterday at practice. Uh, We did. And, and,
1: uh, you know, I said that this morning to the coaches having a coffee, watching the game. I said, you know, it was... uh, it was quiet in the room last night and uh um you know Mario's that guy that brings that noise and brings that energy and and uh you know and drags guys in with him and um you know he wasn't around last night that's no excuse obviously but um you miss a guy that uh, um you, you know it gets other guys around him going he's an infectious guy so definitely miss mario and his
2: energy
3: and that was something that fellow defenseman jake middleton weighed in on as well
2: yeah no he's uh He's a hard guy to replace but he's also a kind of guy like I know myself I think I've texted him every day uh since I haven't seen him so he's one of those locker room guys not only a locker room guy he's an exceptional player on the ice as well but uh I, I do think we miss him big time but it's an opportunity for other guys to step up and you know you, know, you can't replace a guy like him with his attitude and his fun loving way of way of going about things but no it's another opportunity for a lot of guys and we got those six extras or So right now, and uh, we just got to figure out with what we got in the room, how to go about things.
3: And Mr. Middleton also talked about what the team exactly needs to do against Detroit.
2: Practice was good today. Like he mentioned, uh, meeting wasn't exactly awesome. But uh, no, it's one of those things. We just got to show up on time. Uh, Two out of the past three games we haven't played our best, most detailed hockey. And uh, going forward, that's something we're really going to have to clean up, especially in the second half of the year like this.
3: And Middleton also tried to make sense of what exactly happened in that first period against Pittsburgh.
2: I saw a lot of black and gold in that first couple 10 minutes. They came out really firing. As far as I don't have too many opinions on it, there's a lot of things we go over in video and whatnot that really clarifies what happened and what should have happened, what didn't happen. Um, So those kind of things are taken care of the next morning like we did today and that it's just the sun comes up tomorrow and we uh, play the Detroit Red Wings.
3: For more on those Detroit Red Wings we are now joined by Max Boltman of The Athletic. Max what's going on man how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well thanks for having me on this morning.
3: No I appreciate it man and we're getting ready for uh, well what for we'll be in the Bay Area some afternoon hockey which is always uh, always a nice little treat for us. Um, You know we obviously have not seen the Detroit Red Wings in person for a long time here in the Bay Area or watched these two teams go at it in uh, in real life at all for quite some time. So, you know, what's the uh, the 30,000-foot view on the Red Wings up to this point of the 2021-2022 season?
0: Yeah, I'd say the big story starts with their two big rookies, two, their two uh, first-round picks in 2019 and 2020. Mort Sider and Lucas Raymond. I'm, I'm sure their names have made their way out to the, to the Bay Area by now. But um, two of the top contenders for the Calder Trophy this year so far. Lucas Raymond was uh, outstanding to start the year. He was kind of an unexpected, uh, you know, arrival this quickly. I don't know that anyone really expected him to make the, the, the roster before training camp. And then he, he came in and was excellent in the preseason, forced his way not only into a roster spot, but to a spot on the top line. Um, and, and he's proved why so far, I mean, he, he's been one of their best offensive players and Cider and too, really, um, not only with the offense, which I don't know if anyone quite expected to come this quickly for him. Um, but he's also been a really physical presence, especially in, in the recent games there, I would say the story of the season. And they've been the reason, um, in my mind, a big reason, at least why the Red Wings have been able to take a step forward. And then you also look at Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi, two of their guys who, you know, they're, they're kind of standard bears for the franchise at this point there you know it's hard to stop thinking of them as as the young kids but at some point you look up and and they're the veterans now and and they've been what you need your veterans to be they've been really reliable um, both coming off of injuries for last year which which was a little bit of a um, kind of a storyline coming into the year but but they've been excellent and especially Larkin um, who's scoring at, at really a 40 goal pace so far and so he's been um certainly, in my opinion, probably their best overall player this year.
3: And I know you wrote about Raymond, him having a new role on the power play. And with these two teams uh, going against each other tonight, it's, uh, you know, which team is going to not have a, the worst night on the power play might be one of the uh, overall talking points.
0: Yeah, and the Red Wings are coming off a really rough one uh, against Boston where, they, you know, they had one one of their power play shifts they ended up basically defending for, for the better part of it. So uh, they're, they're looking for answers there right now. One of the things that they're trying is putting Raymond in the middle of the power play instead of the flank. And it should be an interesting experiment. I think they feel like that's a role that can be conducive to offense. And and I, I guess the question is probably going to be whether, you know, they have the, the full set to, to make it work. But but they're looking to, to try some new things with that power play. They brought in Alex Tangay as the new uh, assistant coach that runs the power play now. Um, and, and so I think they're hoping to kind of get that jump started. It, it, it hasn't been as good of late. And I think they're they're looking for, for whatever's going to work on, on that unit for Detroit.
3: When you look at the Red Wings power play, is there something in particular you're seeing that's not working? I mean, I know in San Jose, it seems like one time they're aggressive, another time they're not. Also missing open nets. Um, what are you seeing with the Red Wings?
0: I think they'd probably tell you, probably just a few too many unforced errors on their power play and in some ways it makes sense they've got some young guys on there they're they're moving guys um recently and into some new spots but i i think you know one thing that they've struggled with in in past years is their zone entries and um, i think they've gotten better at that and i think they would tell you that they've probably gotten better at that as the years got on but but probably unforced errors would be the the key there and um you know like i said the other night boston was able to put some pressure on them while shorthanded so uh, that could be something I don't know I don't know too much about the Sharks penalty kill but if they've got some uh aggressive PKers it, it could be an interesting night for them then
3: what do you think is the reason behind the streaky nature of the Red Wings this year because it'll be like four straight losses and then five straight wins followed by you know three or four more losses after that is that just the nature of where this team is right now or do you see them some nights more identifying with what they're trying to do versus other nights that are just not working at all or what what exactly do you see
0: well, I'd say part of it goes back to the home road splits, right? And and the NHL is still in, in a lot of at, at various points in the year can be a you know road trip, homestand, league in some ways, and and they're pretty good at home, and, and so that you know I think they're uh, you know I don't know if they're in the top five anymore in terms of home after these last couple of losses, but they've they've had a pretty solidly winning record at home all year. Their crowds been really good, and they've been able to generate a lot of momentum that way. Whereas on the road, you know they're they're defending um, just isn't quite good enough to withstand the the momentum swings that, that you go through the negative momentum swings you go through on the road. And so if you, if you look at those streaks, a lot of them will coincide with home stands and road trips. The other thing I, I, I would say is to your point, like they, they are just a young team. And I think um, it's something that, that takes teams a while and players a while in the league to, to figure out how to kind of navigate those highs and lows and, and, and stop one loss from becoming two from becoming four and all that. But, but the flip side is sometimes, uh, you don't know any better than to just ride the high. And and so they can, uh, they can do that sometimes too. So I'd say a combination of those two things.
3: You know, you talk about fans and, you know, we think back to, you know, this isn't the Joe anymore. It's a new era. What exactly is the reaction to the, the length of time it's taking the Red Wings with this overall rebuild? Obviously we know this is a franchise that had in a tremendously long run of success.
0: I would say surprisingly patient. I think really a big part of that was the arrival of Steve Eisenman. I mm-hmm. think there was a little more antsiness, um, but once he shows up, right, you, you kind of have this, uh, you know, possibly dangerously optimistic uh, feeling for, from the fan base that, that he's going to make it work out. And I think a lot of that certainly owes to what he did as a player in Detroit and as the captain of, of a lot of those teams um, in, in the late nineties and early two thousands. But a big part of it too, goes back to what he was able to, to help build in Tampa Bay and, he wasn't the GM when they won their Cups, but he did play a pretty substantial role in, in assembling those teams. So I have been surprised at, at the amount of patience from the fan base in Detroit. I think they're they're willing to kind of see this through. Now, will that still be the case a year from now, two years from now, if they're not in the playoffs? That I'm not so sure about. But but so far, I think people have been pretty um, understanding that, that they want to uh, – the Red Wings want to do this right. They want to take their time and not rush it. Um, And, you know, obviously, I think if the way this year started that there was some hope, I think, for the playoffs and um, right now the Eastern Conference is looking like it might already kind of have its playoff team solidified. Um, but, But once that happened, I think people were able to slide pretty bad quickly into the long view. And it's been you don't see that too often with with fan bases and especially to your point ones that, that have experienced success. I, you know, I, I think uh, I've been a little surprised how patient they've been.
3: Do you think it's moving along at the right pace? Are you seeing the necessary steps in the right direction? Because that's one of the things that always gets me with a quote unquote rebuild or reset or whatever it is, is that I think there's this often incorrect feeling where teams are incrementally better one year to the next. Whereas I often find in sports, and particularly in hockey, it's like a team suddenly arrives. It's not that they're four wins better than they were last year, which is five wins better than the year before. It's like suddenly they get good as opposed to, you know, before they weren't. Do you think that they're on the cusp of doing that, or is it still a relative unknown?
0: Great question. I think that's what one of the things that's going to make this offseason really interesting for them is now they've got these two young potential stars in in Raymond and Sider who have arrived, to your point. Um, And and are they ready to kind of be a playoff team now next year? I think a big part of that's going to depend what they do this this coming summer. You know, as weird as it is to, I guess, be talking about june and july as we sit here in, in january but the whole left side of their d with the exception of jordan Osterley, are going to be free agents this summer that they, they, they still i would say need in order to be like a real credible playoff team they're probably going to need another really good center to pair with dylan larkin and, and pu suter has been good he, he's been good and he, he's been getting better um but is he is he kind of a number two center on a playoff team is still i think a, a fair question to ask but a couple of things that they've gotten you know in addition to raymond insider that they've added to the puzzle Alex Nedeljkovic has been really good and and obviously we say this on the heels of a game against Boston where he let up four or five goals but um, you know he, he he's been very good all year and, and he was obviously excellent last season in Carolina so I think that's a piece that they've now found he's he's technically actually still has rookie status so I guess a third rookie that they have um, at, at a really crucial position for them and and he's a reason to have some optimism so to your question I actually do think they're 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 moving at, at a reasonable pace now I, I don't know that I would have said that to you 10 months ago in, mm-hmm. in, in the last season, they didn't have any real rookies on the roster um, for, for most of last season. And so I, I would say this year has been a, a real noticeable step up. Will, will they be a playoff team next year? I think a lot of that depends on, on what happens this summer, but um, in terms of arriving, I, I do think they're, they're pretty close to the cusp there.
3: And has Iserman acknowledged the amount of pressure that exists there for him? You know, cause like, like we alluded to, he did so much as a player. There's a lot of built up goodwill, but I mean, it, I would, would, nothing would ever ruin his legacy. However, if this doesn't go according to quote unquote the plan, whatever exactly that is, I mean, it does. I mean, I just, again, I see an incredible amount of pressure from the outside on him, but he's he's obviously a cool character. I mean, this is, (laughs) he's been in, uh, you know, dire situations as a player and come up huge. And, you know, I don't know if it's comparable to say it's dire as a GM, but you know, he's, he knows how to handle pressure. I'll I'll put it that way. However, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. It's not something I've heard him talk about, but you make an interesting point. And, you know, when I covered college football, I covered Jim Harbaugh when he first got back to Michigan and, and there, there are some similarities, I guess, in this idea Mm -hmm. that, you know, you were this legendary player and you've had some success in your coaching or management job and now the fan base expects you to show up and, and, and save the the program or save the franchise, right? And I think there there are some parallels to that, and it, it obviously took Jim Harbaugh until, you know, really the last month to, <laughs> I think, deliver on some of that for people. And and the seat was getting uh, – I don't want to say the seat was getting hot from a managerial perspective, but certainly from a fan's perspective, there, was, there were people questioning and media perspective questioning whether that was going to work out. So I, I definitely see the point you're making that in some ways – having that history with a fan base does add to the, to the pressure. Um, but I, I'll, I'll just say, you know, if, if Steve Eisenman is feeling that he hasn't uh, let it on to, to us in the media, certainly. And um, he strikes me as a guy who, who kind of puts his head down and goes to work. So um, maybe that's why he's successful or, or maybe he's just really good at, at hiding it from us. But one way or the other, it's not something I've personally seen from him.
3: By the way, can you imagine Jim Harbaugh strutting behind the bench in the NHL? You he, would probably make Patrick <laughs> Wall look calm. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Be incredible. What do you what do you make of this game tonight? I mean, these are two teams that aren't that different. We alluded to them both struggling on on the power play and they're both kind of in the midst of you know, Doug Wilson is labeled what the Sharks are doing a reset as opposed to what I would more interpret the Red Wings having done the last couple of years with the rebuild, the more traditional terminology, but you know, that's an argue of semantics for the other for another time. Um, you know, they're both relatively around five hundred, you know, the lack of consistency is the consistency for both these teams. I mean, is there is there something you're, you know, expecting to see when these two teams meet?
0: I would just say I, I probably expect a, a pretty competitive start from both of these teams, who are coming off, you know, not their best games. Mm-hmm. Their last time out, I would expect a, a first period that's pretty tightly contested, pretty tight checking, and both of those teams, I would I would think, trying to kind of set the tone early that this isn't going to happen again for us. So that that's kind of what I would I would say it could end up being maybe a little more defensive game for that reason. Both teams haven't given up some goals their last time out. Um, but we've seen some high scores so far out of the break here, so I, I don't want to get too far ahead of my skis in predicting that. But but that'd be my guess, knowing how, how NHL players and especially NHL coaches are wired, uh, probably wanting to, to establish that pretty early, that, hey, we're, we're not going to let that happen again.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it will be very interesting to see what exactly these two teams do. And then, you know, managing everything that's gone on this year with COVID and postponements, I mean, how, how do you think – that the, the Red Wings have managed that. Because with the Sharks, they were the first team to have the major outbreak back at the end of October. They yeah. had seven regulars out of the roster. They never postponed any games at that point. They went 3-2-1, and one, and it was managed pretty well, and everyone was pretty happy. And then, obviously, that, that was a different situation um, in terms of the outbreaks at the end of October, early November, versus what we saw in December with what we assume was Omicron and not Omicron previously. But, you know, with the Sharks, it's often been framed as opportunity for younger guys that wouldn't have otherwise been able to get up and play. And, you know, that's, there's always something to be gleaned there since, and I, you know, I'm not trying to be patronizing to either of the fan bases for these teams, but I don't think the sharks or the wings are going to be in the Stanley cup final this year is, has it been framed as a, as opportunity? Well,
0: uh, in in some ways the the guys, the Ravens have called up have mostly kind of been guys who I would say have been really important to the franchise in the sense of, you know, being really good AHL players for a while and, and kind of helping the, the development in that way. One of them was Tara Harosi, who um, had, kind of had a cup of tea with the Red Wings when he got out of college at, at Michigan State, local here. Um, but but Kyle Criscolo, Riley Barber, guys who have been really good organizational guys. And and it's really been an opportunity, Dan Renuff, uh, you know, or, organizational guys, Luke Wachowski, who who have kind of gotten their opportunity to to get some time in the NHL, which I think is is important for those guys who, you know Whether fans see them or not or, or whether they're really kind of the quote-unquote future of the franchise or not, those guys play a big role, and I'm sure you guys have the same thing with the, with the Barracuda out there, where your guys who, who play in the AHL for, for several years in a row, they do play a role in, in, in developing the future of your franchise mm-hmm. because they're helping your young players get better, and, and they're really setting the tone for, hey, this is what being a pro looks like um and, and so I would say that those were kind of more the mold the guys the Red Wings were, were calling up when they had their COVID stretch but it, it's interesting they've had so many guys go on that list now I think they might only have six or seven maybe eight at the most guys who, who didn't go on the list in the last month and I think that's kind of interesting because while a lot of teams are kind of still going through this it almost seems like and you, you got to knock on wood when you say this but they, they might be uh they might be able to get away from it for a little while here you know
3: yeah. I mean, it, it would be interesting to see cause you know, it, it runs its course and obviously yep. we're talking about very healthy young men who have access to great medical care. So you would think Absolutely. that, you know, the NHL, you know, overall could be working towards a point to where we're not going to see these outbreaks. By the way, man, can you imagine trying to explain this whole situation yourself in like March of 2019? I, it just, it blows my mind, but you know, I, I'm curious in terms of, you know, what you watch for the Red Wings when they're having a good game. Cause with the Sharks, it's defense first, it's pushing the pucks along the boards, not letting it get in front of the net. Are you know, it's a defensive first mentality. Is there an identity you see with the Red Wings that lets you know early on in the game if they're going to be having one of their better games?
0: I, I think similar, and I, I just add, you know, hard on the forecheck and, and, and really managing the puck really well is probably what they're doing when they're playing well. When they're when they're playing really well, they're probably going to win the game 4-2, right? There's mm-hmm. still not a team that's going to blow you out or, or be able to beat you 7-4, um, but but I think when, when they're playing really smart with the puck and they're able to possess it down low and, and be really hard behind the net, um, that, those are the nights where I feel like, okay, the Red Wings are, are going, and, and a lot of that starts with their top line. Dylan Larkin and Tyler Pertuzzi are both guys who can – who can battle at a really high level in the NHL. And and it helps having Lucas Raymond on their wing because, you know, then he can make some creative plays or finish them if, they, if what they start behind the net, but it extends, you know, through the lineup, Robbie Fabry for, for a smaller guy can still battle um pretty high. And he's got a great release. He can score on the third line. You know, Michael Rasmussen and Adam Ernie are both guys who, who I think can, can win uh, down low for you. And then, and then Phillips Adina can kind of be the beneficiary of that with some scoring chances. And, and their fourth line, you know, Carter Rowney defends. I didn't know a whole lot about Carter Rowney when he arrived in Detroit, um, but I've been really impressed with him kind of defending the, the offensive blue line in a way. He's able to force some turnovers up there that, that keeps possessions alive, and and then you got a guy like Sam Gagne who can who can turn those into offense sometimes. So that that's kind of what I would say is, is good pressure, good good uh, heavy on the forecheck, but but mindful to not create too many odd man rushes against. That's where the Red Wings get into trouble is if they're if they're you know turning the puck over in the offensive zone or the neutral zone and they're giving up odd man rushes. You know that that's any team in the NHL. Once you start doing that, uh, you're you're climbing uphill for sure.
3: And I guess as a final one for you. You know this is a rivalry that at one point, was really, really fun. I mean, I go back to 1994. I was 12 years old. You know, the Sharks got their biggest win in franchise history in getting past the Red Wings. And then for, you know, from 1994 to 2011, these teams had incredible games, incredible playoff series. It was one of the most fun rivalries in the NHL. And, you know, that's dissipated over the past, you know, five years in particular. Do do people still reference those times in that rivalry? Because, I mean, I would... I used to remember when the Red Wings would come out to San Jose and so much of the fan base that lives in the Bay Area would show up at the tank and just these incredible battles for regular season games. And there was also just such a great mutual respect between the fan bases when, you know, they were in San Jose is, is it still referenced at all, or is it mostly forgotten?
0: I I don't hear about it a ton, but, but I agree with the point you're making because, you know, really these two franchises in a lot of ways are one of, are two of the best models for that kind of sustained success that. Um, that NHL teams find so hard to do over that kind of length of, of time, right? And I, I know it didn't amount to kind of the the hardware in San Jose that it did in Detroit, um, but but that was a team that was in it for so many years in a row. And certainly for me growing up, you always knew, like, going through the Western Conference, yeah, you were going to have to run into San Jose more than likely at some point. And so um, I, I agree with the point you're making. They're, they're two franchises that um, built sustainably for a really long time, um, and, and really that that's in, especially in, in the salary cap era of the NHL, it, it's super impressive.
3: I guess the most important question at this point is that, do we get to see you out here in a week's time in San Jose or are you, uh, staying home in Detroit?
0: I will be there. I'm, I'm actually really excited. So I, uh, I, it'll be my first time i um, in San Jose since, since I got on the beat. It, it's, it just hasn't lined up with the travel schedule for me. So I'm, I'm very excited to be out there and, uh, I'll take your uh, any restaurant recommendations you got for me. I'd, I'd happily take them.
3: Yeah, I will throw them. I'll I'll do my research and uh, I might ping you for a couple of uh, your favorite food styles, and then I will uh, I will come up with an aggregate answer for you that hopefully leads you in the right direction.
0: Well, I feel like I got to
3: get a Bay Area burrito before I leave. Yeah. But here's what you need to know that you're looking for, in my opinion, because some people will tell you to go for the wet burrito, which is, you know, with more of the drizzlings on top. I think you got to go for a California burrito, which is, again, that's a larger argument that's, you know, a lot of people in San Diego uh, say that it's created there, which may be true, but ultimately that's with the French fries in the burrito, which, uh, you know, over the course of the last 20 years, I probably would be 30 pounds lighter were it not for my (laughs) discovery of California burritos
0: well uh give me a recommendation for one of each and and maybe uh, i think i'm there for for two or three days nice for both do a taste test
3: nice nice sounds good max i appreciate your time and again man i'll see you out here in a week all right
0: hey my pleasure thanks so much for having me
3: Again, that was Max Boltman of The Athletic joining us on the Sharks Audio Network here on The Build Up as we get ready for today's game. And I think that like Boltman alluded to and like we heard from, you know, Bob Bugner and Mario Ferraro talking about the problems that occurred in that game against Pittsburgh is the Sharks need to be hot out of the gate. And we've seen it so many times this year. They are simply not good at getting back into games and winning them. They have been able to fight. Bob Bugner said it. They've always shown fight. They've always shown battle. They've always shown that resilience see but they have not always been able to get out of the gate fast and this is a team that can't put themselves in a bad position they can't put themselves Overall, in a place where they're not going to be able to have success later in the game. The Sharks chasing a game are not that type of team. They are a front-running team where they can strike first and then dictate the tempo of the game and then be defensive first-minded, come up with big performances from their D, come up with big performances from their goalies, whoever it's going to be. That's the type of game they need. They're capable of doing it against Detroit. It's just a matter of whether or not they will do it against Detroit. All right, that wraps it up for this edition of The Build-Up. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off.